Dufresne and de Grasse were winning victories. When this war ended, Napoleon was attracted to the Navy and actually wrote to the British Admiralty asking to be accepted at the Naval College at Dartmouth. The British Navy rarely recruited in times of peace. The rest of Europe might be at peace, but France itself was in turmoil. A series of bad harvests had brought starvation to the peasants, and the French Parliament was forced to meet after a lapse of nearly 200 years. Discontent grew into violence, violence into revolution. The monarchy was doomed. A bungled attempt at flight convinced the people that the king's sympathies lay with the nobles, who had fled abroad, and he was thrown into prison. This stirred the émigrés to call upon the kings of Europe to join against a nation which had imprisoned its anointed king. Prussia and Austria immediately declared war on France, and a struggle began which, with but one brief pause, was to involve nearly the whole of Europe for twenty years. The French were now thoroughly roused, and they vented their fury on the unfortunate Louis. Raging mobs attacked the Tuileries, and although the king and his family escaped, the famous Swiss guards were massacred. Napoleon was later to record the scene. But worse was to follow. On the morning of Sunday, January the 21st, 1793, a grim, expectant crowd waited in the Tuileries Square. To a muffled drumbeat, Louis mounted the platform. He tried to speak, but the drums drowned his voice. He was forced to kneel. The guillotine that had ended the lives of so many of his countrymen crashed down. France had answered the Allies' challenge in the blood of their king. Not all the cities of France supported the revolution. The great port of Toulon raised the royal fleur-de-lis, proclaimed the boy prince, Louis XVII, as the new king, and opened the port to English men of war. For, horrified by the slaughter of the king, Prussia and Austria now had been joined by England, Spain, Russia, Holland, and a number of lesser powers throughout Europe. The whole world, it seemed, was in arms against France, which was torn by civil war, had no proper government to replace the old, and had lost its natural leaders, the nobles. Toulon presented the gravest problem, and quite by chance, Napoleon, an artillery officer, was in the neighbourhood. He was given command of the guns, then besieging the port. It was his first taste of a real battle. He was actually injured in the thigh, when at the head of 2,000 men he led an attack on the fort, and his success led Dugomier, the commander-in-chief, to write, I have no words to describe Bonaparte's merit. Much technical skill, an equal degree of intelligence, and, and too much gallantry. There you have a poor sketch of this rare officer. Napoleon was promoted to high rank, from captain to brigadier general, in four months. He returned to Paris to find much unrest in the capital. The people, stiffened by royalist sympathizers, were on the verge of an uprising. Barra, commander-in-chief of the Army of the Interior, sent for him, ordering him to protect the Tuileries, the seat of government. Cleverly positioning a few eight-pounder guns, he was able to disperse the rebels with what he called a whiff of grape shot, and the new republic had been saved. 
In appreciation, Barat made Napoleon his second-in-command. And two weeks later, the young artillery officer found himself chief of the Army of the Interior. He had arrived. But Napoleon was not wholly occupied with war. On March the 11th, 1796, he wrote to the Directoire, I have asked Citizen Barra to inform the Directoire of my marriage with the citizen Tasher Boani. The trust which the Directoire is reposed in me made it a duty to inform it of all my actions. This is one more bond that draws me to our country. It is a pledge of my firm resolve to seek salvation only in the Republic. He called his new bride Josephine. On her part, it was a marriage of convenience, for she was a widow and heavily in debt, whilst he was wildly, passionately in love. The honeymoon was a short one, two days and two nights, for he was appointed commander-in-chief of the Army of Italy and sent to fight the Austrians. He was 26 years old. He set up his headquarters in Nice and took stock. He had an army, if it could be called such, of some 40,000 men, badly equipped and provisioned. Few wore boots. Most of his men wore clogs, strips of cloth, or even plaited straw. And it was with this army of scarecrows that he was expected to defeat the professional armies of the Emperor Francis of Austria. He spoke to his army. Soldiers! You are naked and starving. The government owes you much and can give you nothing. Among these rocks, your patience, your courage are admirable. But not one ray of glory can shine down on you. I will lead you into the most fertile plain of the earth. Wealthy cities, great provinces will be in your power. And there await you honor, glory, and riches. Soldiers of Italy, will your courage, will your constancy fail? His promise of plunder and glory was just what his men needed, and heartened with the hope of good times ahead, marched cheerfully into battle. Victory followed victory. Montenotte and Milesimo, Dego and Modovi. The Austrians, fighting in the leisurely way of the past, could not cope with the rapidity of movement practiced by Napoleon's men. Instead of following the usual practice of establishing a fixed base, he kept his army continually on the move, feeding off the land as it went, so the enemy was forced to fall back before it. Yet there was another side to this campaign. Napoleon wrote to the Directoire, You cannot conceive the state that this army is in. It has no bread, no discipline. Our lack of carts, our bad horses, our rapacious commissaries have reduced us to absolute destitution. The life I lead is unbelievable. Worn out with my day's work, I have to sit up all night to administer and to proceed in person everywhere to restore order. Our starving soldiers commit excesses that make one ashamed to be a man. I shall make some terrible examples. I will restore order or cease to command these bandits. 
I have to face 100,000 men with only 34,000 infantry and 3,500 cavalry. Yet, with his army of half-starved bandits, Napoleon continued to advance. At the end of April, he spoke to his men again. Soldiers! In 15 days, you have won six victories, captured 21 flags, 55 guns, several fortresses, and conquered the richest part of Piedmont. Lacking everything, you have accomplished everything. You have won battles without cannon, crossed rivers without bridges, made forced marches without boots, bivouacked without brandy, and often without bread. Yet there are more battles before you, more cities to capture, more rivers to cross. You all burn to carry forward the glory of the French people, to dictate a glorious peace and to be able, when you return, to exclaim with pride, I belonged to the conquering army of Italy. At Lodi, he found the bridge across the Adda swept by 30 guns. At a crucial stage, he himself led the charge, and his men, following close on his heels, scattered the enemy on the further side. Later on, his victorious soldiers crowded round him and saluted him with a new title, the Little Corporal. January 1797...